We're doing the Christmas story, a continuation. We're doing the life of Zacharias and the favor of God. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. If you would, stand for reading of the word of God. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now last week we talked about the promised Messiah. We talked about the promise of the Messiah became very early. In Genesis chapter 3.15, we see that, that Jesus would crush the head of Satan. Satan would bruise his heel, but Jesus would crush his head. We had the promise of the virgin birth. In Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's right. That is important. We... God, God really considers us important. He came to dwell with us. I mean, he's great. The promised seed was prophesied. He came through the virgin birth. The promised seed was preceded by a forerunner, John the Baptist, just as the prophet said, this week our story continues with two people, Zacharias and Elizabeth, primarily Zacharias, and the favor of God, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to gather together as your church to worship you corporately and to learn from you corporately. Holy Spirit, please teach us today things that you would like us to know and what you teach us help us to apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, verses 5 through 10, Zacharias, once in a lifetime moment. Now this is a special moment for Zacharias. God's grace and his favor are going to be poured out on him. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. I want to pause here for just a second to remind you who Herod is. Herod lived from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. He was the one that was in charge when Jesus was born. He was, a, he was the builder. He is the one that beautified the temple, Zerubbabel's temple, and he beautified the temple. He built many opulent things in Israel. He was a tremendous architect, but he was also a crazy guy. I mean, he was killing people left and right. And he was the one that was responsible for killing all the kids two years old and younger. And we'll be going through Herod and the Magi next week, and I'll give you more information about him. His life is pretty interesting. So he was a king of Judea. A certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now this division of Abijah, there were 24 divisions of priests. 
So there was, a, there was a ton of priests that were responsible for the work that happened in the, in the temple. They were both, Elizabeth and Zechariah, were both righteous before God, walking in all of the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Zacharias had a special day. This was a special time for him. In the next verses, he's going to be visited by an angel, which will even be more significant. And the way that he got this special appointment was by casting lots. Casting lots. Now, remember, he was also, it was also mentioned that he was childless. And for a childless, for, for a couple to be childless in Israel or, or in, in Judaism was looked at as a curse. There was some sort of stigma. So he's a priest, but he doesn't have children, and you've got to wonder, all the people in the neighborhood are going, what's wrong with Zacharias and Elizabeth? Oh, there must be something wrong with them why God is not blessing them. And oh, the blessing is coming soon. They cast lots. Seventy times we hear in the Old Testament about casting lots. Seven times in the New Testament, we don't know what the lots were, whether they're sticks or whether they're stones or whether they were coins or whatever they were, but, but they, they cast lots. In the New Testament, I want you to hear this, nowhere in the New Testament are Christians to resort to this type of thing to try to discern the will of God. Why? Because we have God's Word. We have the Holy Spirit. We have prayer. We don't go to casting lots in the New Testament to try to discern the Lord's will. But in the Old Testament they did, and actually there's a proverb, 16.33, that says this, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So when they were casting lots and they were in the favor of God and they were in the will of God, God would express his will to them by casting the lot. But we don't do that in the New Testament. We don't do that in the New Testament. Just so you know about casting lots, okay? Also, Zacharias, I want you to realize that he had the favor of God on him. And I want to tell you what the favor of God is. The word is charis, and it means acceptance, kindness granted or desired, a benefit, thanks, gratitude, grace. If you can remember anything in that, favor, grace. Grace, favor of God. So try to remember that. So Elizabeth and Zacharias were faithful, both from the tribe of Judah, but neither one of them had the blessing of a son or a daughter. They had no children. And again, this was looked at as a stigma in the nation of Israel. Now, Zacharias, was, his job as a priest would, would, would encompass the following. He would be in the temple for a two-week period of time each year, apart from the great festivals. There were 18,000 to 20,000 priests. So the chances of him in a lifetime burning the incense was like zip, okay? He had almost no chance, but God favored him. God favored him. Uh, I want you to, I have a, a, an overhead here on what happens in, with the priest. And I want you to notice that this is the altar of incense. Of course, this is, who? this would be the priest. And on the right side is where the angel appears. And I want you to notice that it's not a, a huge structure. So it isn't like the angel appears in the next verses 
way far away from Zacharias. I'm thinking that that angel popped up right here. Boom. And if that angel pops up right here, what do you think this dude's going to do? He's going to take a, <gasps> wow, and it'll say great fear fell upon him. That's what it's going to say. So that's, I want you to also realize in the holy place where this, where this exists, just as a reminder, on the right side here was a table of showbread. On the left side was the menorah or, or the lampstand with the light. The table of showbread had the loaves on it. And those loaves, there were 12 loaves for the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus, knowing that these people were very uh, uh, astute on the table of showbread and what bread means, he said that he was the bread of life in John 6.35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. He also, with the light of the menorah and on the Feast of Tabernacles, there were huge lights, candle-type lights, that were around the city, and Jesus would point to those lights and say that, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus was, he was, he, he was alluding to things in the temple, or in the tabernacle, that these people were very familiar with. And these are the things that he claimed that he was. The offering of incense that goes up from this altar are, are symbolic of the prayers, and it was a sweet aroma to God. And I want to remind you that when you communicate with God in prayer, it is a sweet aroma to God. And that's why God implores us in the New Testament to pray without ceasing. He wants a continual relationship with us, a relationship of a sweet aroma going up to him on a continual basis. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, we see that the, that the altar of incense, are, again, are the prayers of the saints. The most common prayer that the people would be praying, remember, everybody has a role. Zacharias had his role. He was offering the, the incense offering on, on the altar of incense. But the people outside had their role too. And they were praying, and more than likely they were praying, send Messiah. Oh God, send Messiah. Send relief. Send us relief. Remember, they were under Roman occupation. They were being... They were being ruled over by despotic rulers. And they wanted relief from this. Send Messiah. Now, I want you to also remember in verse 6 that, that Zacharias and Elizabeth were both righteous and faithful before God, but yet they were not blessed according to the way that people would look at blessings and having children. Again, that stigma was still there. Zechariah and Elizabeth were people just like you today. They were just normal people that God decided to pour his grace upon. You never know when God will surprise you with a wave of favor, with a wave of grace. And I'm telling you, that is good news for us. In verse 11 through 13, Zacharias is surprised by God's favor and his grace. Watch this. Now, he's had his big moment. This is a huge moment. This is a touchdown moment that he's experiencing here with the altar of incense. But, oh, it gets better than that. Then an angel of the Lord, and we know in verse 19, that is Gabriel, appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Again, very close. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. Can you imagine? And fear fell upon him. I mean, if anything just appeared to you, just if somebody just went right here right now, what do you think is going to happen to me? <gasps> but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. He's got to say that right away. 
Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, which means the grace of God. The grace of God. Your son, he's gonna, you're going to have a wonderful son. So he's offering this, this burnt offer, this offering of incense. And then, again, I, want, I can't emphasize this enough. This is a Super Bowl moment for him. This is him hitting the World Series. This is the jackpot. But that wasn't, that wasn't the, the, the biggest thing. The biggest thing was suddenly the angel appears. And it wasn't just the angel appearing, but what he said, that this couple would have a baby at an advanced age. And I'm thinking this guy is really old, like in his 80s or something, almost like Abraham and folks like that at an advanced age. He is an old man. Impossible for this thing to happen. Zechariah was given a heads up that Messiah is coming and your son will introduce him to the nation of Israel. What a privilege that he has. What an enormous privilege. God's grace and his favor has just fallen on him big time, totally unexpected. It's a huge honor. They were waiting for this child for years, praying for years. They must have been well past, you know, this can never happen now. I'll tell you, be ready in your life to be surprised by God. You never know when he will break into your life with something totally unexpected. And I will tell you, with a great, big truckload of grace. Remember, God graces us, and he graces us, and he graces us. Be ready. Zacharias' response to the angel was fear. And that is, that is very common. It happened to everybody except, except Mary. And they, when they saw the angel, this fear came in upon him. This was a supernatural experience that elicits within a human being a fear response. Now, let me question you. Today, oftentimes, we see people say that I saw Jesus in the burrito. I saw Jesus in the potato chip. I saw Jesus in the clouds. And I'm telling you, if you see Jesus, you're going to do what John did in Revelation chapter 1, belly smacker right on your face before, before the, the, the king of the universe. So when, it's, when something is supernatural, it's not blasé, it's not casual, it's memorable, and it's fearful. And I want to give you an example of this. Remember the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. I'm taking this, it was recorded in several of the Gospels, but in Mark chapter 5, verse 37 through 41, they, the storm has come, and I don't know if you know how big this boat is that they, are in, that they traditionally fish in, this thing is not very big. They just had it on the History Channel. They had one that, was, that, was, that they, had, they found, similar to the one in the Sea of Galilee. It's very small. I wish I would have had an overhead of it. And these 12 guys are jammed into it with Jesus. Now, it has to be shoulder to shoulder, jammed into this boat, and Jesus is in the back. And you, you picture him kind of laying back, taking up all the space. Nah -uh. Jesus is probably sitting there, slumped over. He's out like a light. He's in the back of the boat. And he's asleep, and the storm comes. This is the picture. And these guys are seasoned fishermen, at least most of them, and they are in abject fear of their life. And Jesus is sleeping, and they're wondering, what is Jesus doing when we're getting ready to perish? And I want to show you something. They wake Jesus up, and this is what Jesus does. He rebuked the wind and the sea, and a great calm came on the water. Now, that is significant. Because Jesus broke in in a supernatural way into this monstrous storm that caused fear in these fishermen, and now it's a sheet of glass. That's the picture. 
And then Jesus asked him this question, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? See, Jesus is in the boat with them. And if Jesus is in the boat with you, you do not fear. We have the Holy Spirit with us now. And it is incumbent upon us to realize who is living in us. The Spirit of God dwells in us. It says, fear not, fear not, fear not. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And folks, that's a great, great question, especially when the creator of the universe is in the boat with you. This re their response to the miracle was this. They feared exceedingly. Their response to the miracle elicited more fear than the storm itself. They feared and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? A stunning miracle will result in a stunning response. It's never casual. Oh, I saw Jesus in the mirror. I saw an angel the other day. No, it's, it is a monstrous result. Zacharias was stunned and, he, and fear fell upon him. And a fear, a fear falls upon everybody that comes in contact with a stunning miracle. The lesson is this. Zacharias had a moment. The disciples had a moment. In your life, again, I want to emphasize this, you never know when it will be a day like any other day, and God breaks in and changes everything. Why? Because God is a grace giver. He is a grace giver. Zacharias and Elizabeth were old. A baby was impossible. But what did Gabriel say to Mary about the virgin birth? He said this, with God, nothing is impossible. Now, would you say that with me? With God, nothing is impossible. God is a God of the impossible. Trust him. He is always at work around you, even when you cannot see him. You don't understand what's going on. He is at work around you. He loves you. He is the God of the impossible. Think about this. Life is often confusing. Life, oftentimes, I can't figure out why this is going on. Have you ever lived there in a Y land? Not Y wham, Y land. Y land. Why is this happening? And I want to suggest to you, God is not obligated to answer your I don't understand questions. And we have a lifetime of those, do we not? We have a lifetime of those. But during times of confusion, I would ask you to pause for just a second. For pa pause for a moment and remember that God has given you something very special in these situations. Something that Old Testament believers did not have. Something that all world religions do not have. He has given us the right. He's given you the right, and you must veil yourself of this in your trial, in your struggle, to boldly approach the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help of time of need. Who doesn't need that? To find grace and mercy in our time of need, Hebrews 4.16. Now, this is a promise and a privilege that we have as believers. It tells me how special the church is to God. The bride of Christ is to God. We are special in Jesus' sight. Special, special people. We believe him. We trust him. God will give you his grace and his mercy to see you through the struggle. Remember that. 
to see you through the struggle. Oftentimes, we want to be rescued from it. And most of the time, sometimes God will rescue you. But I can say, just by life's experience, that most of the time, God will give you the strength to go through the thing with you, to go through it with you. He is your peace. He is your presence. And you need to know this. A right relationship is crucial in boldly approaching the throne of grace. If I have unconfessed sin in my heart, the scripture says God will not hear me. God will not hear me. I have to come before God in a prepared manner if I want to be in the grace and mercy land. Zacharias was righteous. He obeyed the commandments of God. He was considered blameless. He put himself into favor and blessing territory. That's what we have to do. If we're in abject sin doing our own thing, we're putting ourselves at, at odds with God instead of in line with God. God's promise to you in the crucible of confusion is his presence. And God will go through your struggle with you. God will go through your struggle with you. I will be with you. And remember what we learned in Hebrews 13.5. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And I don't know if you remember this, but it, it mentions in the Greek that thinks five times, I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. He is a friend that sticks closer to the brother. What a promise. Our job is to know that I know that he loves me and he's working all things for good. And I know that I'm not alone. God knows where I am and his strength will get me through. His, he might not remove it, but his strength will get me through. Now, Zacharias could have responded this way. He, let's say he's 80 years old. I have no idea how old he was, but he was old, okay? He was old. He could have responded this way. Why did it take this long? Why didn't you come when I was, why didn't this happen when I was younger? When I could have played ball with John. We could, have, we could have shot some hoops together. We could have done something together. We could have climbed mountains together. We could have went on marathons together. Why didn't you, what didn't happen then? I could have helped John in his ministry. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. This was not God's plan. And I want you to suggest to you, God does all things perfectly. He does all things perfectly. He is sovereign. We are to trust him, especially through the I don't understands of life which there are tons of, tons of. I might not like it, but I'm going to trust him. In verses 14 through 17, Zacharias and Elizabeth were favored with a child, prepared for the Lord. I'm telling you, that is grace. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now think about this. Think about your child being born and an angel telling you that this is going to be your child. Now everybody thinks their kid is special. They all think they're summa cum laude kids, okay? But this one was. This one was. And, you're, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. I mean, you could just about go into tears if, if, if somebody's told you that about your kid. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He's been chosen from the womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will be, go before him. He'll go before Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is your son, Zacharias. This is the one that came at the perfect time. This is the one that God gave you a special 
at this time of your life. You have been blessed, Zacharias. They were faithful, and they experienced God's favor, and they waited. And I want to emphasize again the, the significance that the angel said about this particular son. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will impact the world. Wouldn't you love that about, about your child or your grandchild? They will impact the world. Not be a drag on the world. They will impact the world. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. And I will suggest to you, many in the world system at John's time thought he was crazy. Why? He was eating locusts. He was eating honey. He had the big belt around him. He looked, he looked kind of different. He never shaved or he never cut his hair for his whole life. He was a Nazarite from the beginning. He looked a little strange. They thought John was strange. And I will suggest to you that to be great in the sight of the Lord, you will look a little strange to the world. If you want to blend with the world, you won't look strange. You'll just look just like them. And that is not what we are called to do. We're called to be different. He will be separated to God from the womb. Again, a Nazarite. No razor, no grapes. Don't be around anything dead. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from, a room, from, from the womb. He had a special calling with a special anointing. And he will turn the hearts of Israel to God. That was his mission, to prepare the way for Messiah. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I'll tell you, this is an important statement because this is talking about revival in the nation of Israel. And I don't know if you remember what was happening up to that point, but this nation was, was di distant from God. Look at what is revival? Revival is this. The people were to turn away from self-willed disobedience. Self-willed disobedience and disregard for others and turn back to God. And John did his assignment with vigor. His message was repent and turn. His baptism was a baptism of repentance to the nation of Israel. To turn the fathers back to the children in verse 17. To make ready a people for the Lord. Now that was John in preparation for the Messiah, but I will suggest to you today that the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit is, is, is making a way. The Holy Spirit today is in John 16, verse 8 and 9, does this for us. And I will send you the Helper. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment of sin, because you do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you will see me no more. Of judgment, because the rule of this world is judged. The Spirit of God is preparing the way in the hearts of minds and people to receive the Messiah, to come to the Messiah for life. He is the one that is doing this, convicting of sin in the singular of believing that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Convicting of righteousness, because that is how we are to live, as righteous people before our God. And of judgment, because judgment is coming, and we know it. We know it intuitively, that there will be a day when we give an account of our lives before God. The people of Israel had turned away from God for 400 years. From Malachi to Matthew, they grew colder and colder and colder, and they drifted further and further and further from God. They had religion. Now hear this. They had religion. They had their temple. They had their sacrifices. They had the traditions they were going through, but they had no relationship and were abandoning God. They had drifted from God. God was sending the Messiah, and John would pave the way. The people had to change from a me-focus 
a, a preoccupation with Roman occupation and focus that the Messiah is coming. Now, how many people do what the Jewish people did? They were going through sacrifice and offerings, but their hearts were far from God. Proverbs 15.8 says this, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. If you think that you can sacrifice and make up for disobedience, you are wrong. You can't just go to church and say, okay, I went to church this week and I can live like I want, or I can do whatever else, I can give money to the poor. No, that is not impressive to God. What is impressive to God is obedience. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright, oh, that is his delight. The lesson is this. The lesson is this. Change and do what is right. It is never too late to change your focus and do what is right in your life. Never too late. You can start over. God is great with start overs. Change your script. When I say script, change the way that you normally are responding in your life. Change the way you are living. From self-absorbed all about me to a focus on God. And ask yourself, what does God want from me? That's a great question to start. When you get revival in a person's heart, that's the question that they ask. What does God want from me? I'll tell you, he wants you to hear him and he wants you to obey him. You want to ask yourself, why am I even here? And I'll tell you, you're here to know Jesus Christ. That's why you were born. You were born in this world to know him. What am I supposed to do while I'm here? Well, you are to serve him and obey him. Not, not, not deep, not deep, but it's profound. Easy, but profound. Psychology tells us today that man's problem is low self-esteem. The counselor often teaches a person to claim their worthiness, to be assertive, to focus on self-growth, to look how great you are. I'm a wonderful person. I'm important. Well, Bob Diefenbach from Dallas Theological Seminary says this about that mindset. The Bible clearly asserts that the root of all of our problems is the love of self. The adulterous pastor does not love Christ or his church or his own family or the woman he defiles. He loves one person more than all others, and that is himself. The homosexual is not loving God or other men. He is loving himself, seeking to gratify his own lust. It is the same with everything else. Drugs, eating disorders, pornography, vanity, greed, jealousy, abject disobedience to God. The root of it all is the love of self. I want me more than I want God. That is what the root is. Me, myself, and I above everything else. If we want God to revive us, to have a Zacharias moment, if we want God's favor, we must get the focus off of me and onto God. It starts with being righteous in his sight, and that's salvation, folks. It starts with salvation because we have the imputed righteousness of Christ given to us when we believe that Jesus died for us. But it doesn't stop there. It continues with being set apart unto God. Have a repentant spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This will lead to a fulfilled life. When the focus is off of me and on to Jesus, folks, this is the ticket to God's favor. You want God's favor, get it off of you and on to God. It's just that simple. It's not automatic. I cannot live like I want in disobedience to God and his word and expect his grace and favor. I must do it God's way.
It's just that simple. And another statement that I wanted to focus on for just a moment, very quickly, is John was separated from the womb. And this is, this is rather unique. There are several people in Scripture that were separated from the womb for service. In Psalm 22.10, David talks about this regarding the womb. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Isaiah says this, who formed me from his womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. You know, he was separated, Isaiah was separated from the womb, and God was his strength. You know what happened to Isaiah? Manasseh, a maniacal king, had him sawed in two with a wooden saw. That's how he died from history. He needed God's strength. Jeremiah was separated from the womb, yet he was abjectly rejected. There are no converts in the 40 years of his ministry in Israel. Everyone rejected him. How would you like to start a church like that, where everybody rejects you? And he's thrown into a pit because he's telling the truth, the prophetic truth that God has given him. He says, I've consecrated you. I've appointed you a prophet. I formed you from the womb. Now, his life was, I mean, Jeremiah could, would never say, this is, this is our best life now. You ever hear that? This is your best life now. You are deserve your best life now. No, Isaiah wouldn't say that. David wouldn't say that because he had all his mess after Bathsheba when he sinned, and he had that whole thing, and he had Uriah killed, and then he had this mess come into his family where Ammon raped his half-sister Tamar, and then Absalom, in a fit of rage because David isn't doing anything about it, kills Ammon, and then Absalom takes over the kingdom, and he finally dies. I mean, his life was a mess when he went off into sin. But yet he was separated to God from the womb, and he repented. He had a repentant spirit. Galatians 1.15, this is, this is Paul speaking. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased. Now, did Paul have his best life here? Remember, you read this in Corinthians where he was stoned, where he was beaten, where he was whipped, where he was shipwrecked, and it goes on and on and on. This is not your best life. Now, he was looking forward to a, to a home. He was looking forward to a better place. That's what we have to look forward to. It's not that we can't have it good here, but folks, it's better there. It's better there. In Psalm 139, this is for you, 139.13, speaking to David, but I think it applies to us today. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew John from the womb, and I suggest that God knows you from the womb. God knows all of us before we were ever conceived in the womb, and he knows our entire lives. Nothing surprises him. Nothing shocks him. He knows the beginning from the end. He is working all things together for good. Doesn't mean everything is good. He is working all things together for good for those who love him. For those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. And remember this, through your life here, through your life here, God loves you. God is for you. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Who can be against us? He is working all things, separated from the womb. John was separated from the womb. He was separated to live a life of, of leading people to the Messiah. Why did people flock to John? 
He looked crazy. He never cut his hair in his whole life. You talk about a beard? You talk about hair? This dude had it, okay? He had the gear. He had the, he had the outfit that looked strange. Why did they flock to him? He did no sign. He did no miracle. You know why they flocked to him? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was alive and well in his life and his ministry. And, he, and then they, they went to him, and you know what he said to them? He didn't say, hey, if you do this, you're going to get a lot more stuff. You're going to get a life. It's just going to be your best life now. You know what he said to these people? Repent. Repent, you sinners. That was his message. And they kept coming in droves. If you say that today, they'll run out the back of the church. You can empty the church that way. Repentance was his theme. Holiness and righteousness was his call to the nation. The cry of our culture, God's cry to our culture today is repent and turn to him and obey him. Folks, there's an accepted time of God's favor. There's an accepted time when God pours out his favor on a person. You don't choose it. God chose it. He chose it for Zacharias. He chose it for John. He chooses it for you. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1 and 2, there's an accepted time of God's favor. It says this, When we as workers together with him plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Why? Because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God is coming to you. He's coming to you. He's coming to you. And he says, In acceptable time I have heard you. There's an acceptable time. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Remember, God is the initiator of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There's urgency in Paul's voice. You can't put this stuff off. Tomorrow was promised to no one. Today is the day of salvation. Zacharias and Elizabeth were favored, indeed favored by God. And believers today are favored by God. They were obedient to God. They walked in the commandments of, in the ordinance of the Lord blameless. Life here, folks, will never be easy. But living this life in the favor and the grace of God, knowing his son, obedient to his commands, working for him all the days of your life, produces the most gracious and fulfilled, fruitful life. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want a life well lived? None of these people, even if you're sought in two, even if, you're, if your life is, is like, like the prophet Jeremiah and you're thrown in a pit because you're telling the truth, none of these people re thought that their life was a waste. They knew it was valuable. They were faithful to the end. Life here will never be easy. Never be easy. Working for him all the days of your life produces the most gracious, fulfilled, and fruitful life. A life of purpose, never to be regretted for a second. Finally, in conclusion, Zacharias in the favor of God. First thing, be prepared for your life to be interrupted by God. But remember, you have to position yourself for the favor and the grace of God. Okay? You have to remember that. Zacharias, once-in-a-lifetime moment, was interrupted by God for a greater moment, the angel moment. You're going to have a son moment. Something he looked forward to all of his life, offering incense in the temple, paled, paled in comparison to that angel moment and that angel saying, you are going to have a son and he's going to be a special son, dedicated to God. God's grace was being bestowed on Zacharias and Elizabeth. The lesson is this, we make our plans, we look forward to our plans coming to fruition. 
God has a plan for our lives that might look quite different than our plans, but it will be the best plan. And I would suggest to you in your life, be ready to flex. You notice the trees that stand up during the, during the, during the storms? The ones that flex, the ones that bend. The big oaks that are standing there like this, what happens to them? There goes that limb on your house. There goes that limb on your car. They're standing, but the ones that flex and bend over, those are the ones that survive. Be ready to flex. Be ready for God to grace you. You never know what God will do. One thing for sure, it will probably be different than what you thought. How many of you today are doing exactly what you said you were going to be doing when you walked across that stage in the 12th grade and you told everybody, I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to law school. I'm going to medical school. I'm going to this school, or I'm going to that school, and where you are now. Doesn't work out the way that we thought. Things will be different. Remember this. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. Secondly, Zacharias and Elizabeth were favored because they were faithful. The faithful are, are favored. All believers are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. That is the truth. It is a work of God. It's the favor of God that God gives us. It's a free gift. But hear this. This does not mean that you will live a life of favor. That depends on you and how you are relating to your God. If you live in disobedience to God's commands, if you choose to do your own thing, I want to do my thing. I want to do my thing. I want to have my life. I deserve it. You will live in misery and despair. Many Christians have chosen the misery path and experienced the chastening hand of God. But many have seen the error of their ways and have repented and experienced the favor of God. Oh, there's blessings just right around that corner. God is so gracious. He, he will take you. you. The world might not take you, but God will always take you, and he will always love on you. That's the picture I have of our God. You want to have the attitude of no more living for self and experience God's favor. And the best thing about God when you get right with him is his presence. Is his presence. And his presence always, always brings his peace. Into the midst of the mess, his presence brings his peace. And finally, for those who are living a messy life, those who have strayed to do their own thing, God is great with startovers. It's never, ever, ever too late to change your script and live a life of faithfulness to the Lord. God gives us grace upon grace upon grace. And I, and I know this to be true. He is pulling for you to experience his favor. Turn and live a life of favor. Zacharias and Elizabeth did. John the Baptist experienced God's favor. And you today can experience his favor moment by moment, second by second. He graces us, and I would suggest to you that God graces us so often that many times we don't even recognize it. We don't even recognize it. This Christmas season, may we remember the promised Messiah, what we talked about last week, Zacharias in the favor of God, and you 
in the favor of God. Pause this Christmas season. Pause for just a second. Give thanks for our Savior's birth. Give thanks for his life. Give thanks for his death for you. And give thanks that he is a promise keeper. Other people will break their promises to you. Jesus will never, ever break his promise. He will bestow upon us the greatest favor of all when he comes again to establish his kingdom in all things we made right. This season, remember the virgin birth, the sinless life, his awful death, his burial, and his resurrection. And remember, he is coming again. Our God is coming again. Jesus is the reason for the season. May we continue to celebrate his birth this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to study the life and this, this short part of Zacharias' life. Thank you, Lord, that this man and his wife, Elizabeth, they were faithful and they had placed themselves in a position for your favor and your grace and your mercy to be bestowed on them to have such a special son, a son that would impact his world, that would introduce the world to the Messiah. And, oh, God, that we each, as children of God, as sons and daughters of the living God, would take up the mantle and introduce the world to the Messiah the Jesus Messiah, name above all names, King of kings and Lord of lords, the one that can change your life forever. May we take up that mantle and go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, telling them the truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through him. Give us uncommon courage, Lord. Give us uncommon wisdom in who we speak to. You have a prepared people. You are working in the hearts and minds of people. Help us to see where you're working and join you where you're at work. Oh, Lord, help us to go through this life with the Holy Spirit, rod of iron up our spines, and walk with courage and the power of the Holy Spirit in doing the work that you've called us to do. And we will experience the favor of God, His grace and his mercy lavished on us. Lord, thank you for that picture. In Jesus' name, amen.